Hi, and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, and I'm founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weens, Senior Pastor of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alumni, which means we've spent a lot of time laughing, growing, and being transformed in the presence of Christ in community with other leaders. Everybody, welcome to Episode 4, Community at a Leadership Level. And we've talked about preparing leaders for discernment, but now there are some movements that you write about in the book that are beautiful. Uh, They're all about becoming a community that practices corporate leadership discernment. So before you get into describing the movements, can you define what you mean by corporate leadership discernment? Yes, it's interesting because it took me a while to land on the language for what we're talking about here, which is a is a spiritual practice. I think this is practice of corporate leadership discernment is actually a spiritual practice that opens us to the transforming work of God and to the presence of God. So each one of those words stands for something. So the word corporate. Now I'm not talking about a Fortune 500 company. I'm talking about together. The word corporate just means together. So together, and then leadership is the fact that we're all together trying to lead something together, and then discernment is the actual practice that we're engaging in. So all three of those words matter in this definition. Corporate could also be, you know, talked about as communal discernment. It could be communal leadership discernment, and maybe that's a little bit more accurate. But um, the idea of together, that it's not just me as an individual going up to the mountain to get the vision and coming back to give it to you all. I'm saying, no, we're going to do this together. We're going to discern God's will for us together and lead together out of this place. Which I think just that is pretty radical mm-hmm. for it most is, of us. It is, absolutely. And should yeah. mm-hmm. bring some relief to yes, most leaders. Exactly. That it, you don't have we to We don't be... have to do it alone. No, yeah. we don't. So now let's get into the mm-hmm. movements. What are the movements? Well, first of all, we need to establish true north. And so this is an interesting idea because true north is actually a geographical term. People who do sailing or people who do mountain hiking, they know what true north is, that true north is the north that we identify from the north star magnetic north is a different kind of north and that is the the north that has to do with the the heat at the center of the earth but it's always changing so magnetic north is always changing true north and the north star never change so when people use a compass they have to adjust to true north rather than allowing magnetic north which is always changing to you know mess up how they're traveling so i think of true north as being what a leadership group agrees to to say that no matter what else changes Mm -hmm. among us or around us no matter what all the other leadership books are saying no matter what is going on in the leadership environment or what leadership guru is saying this or that we have true north and it does not change and that is our commitment to discern and do the will of god as the heart of our spiritual leadership boom um and so whatever the question is this is what we're doing whatever's going on in the culture around us about leadership this is how we define leadership it is discerning and doing the will of god together so establishing true north involves developing a shared understanding of what discernment means and we've already been doing that in this podcast we've done a lot of talking about what discernment really means in a leadership environment it means developing a shared conviction that discernment really is the heart of spiritual leadership and i would suggest so i'm you know looking at you as a senior pastor and you're the one leading your group and i would suggest going around the circle if you if you weren't already deep into this practice i would say steve if you're starting out with this you do some teaching and some study on this you give the biblical and theological foundations you cast the vision and then you go around to the group and you say 
Do we agree that discernment is the heart of our spiritual leadership and this is how we intend to lead? And you give everybody a chance to speak to whether or not they're on board and facing true north with you. Do not assume anything. This is what I've learned. I mean, I've been in leadership for a long time and I've learned that assuming these kinds of things is yeah. usually a mistake. Yeah. So you want to create space for every person to say how they're feeling and responding to this idea of discernment as the heart of our spiritual leadership together. Um, and conviction is different than understanding, right? Mm, I can understand yeah. it as a concept, but for me to say, yes, I hold a conviction and I share this conviction with you that discernment is how we're going to lead together. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is a great place to stand. That is solid, and yep. that's what you want to know. Um, and then this shared affirmation that discerning and doing the will of God is how we intend to lead together, and we're making a commitment to that. So you're, you've established your true north, and that's the first thing that needs to happen in a group. And sometimes... In, in fact, maybe all the time, with a group of people who really are leaders, you might want to establish true north at the very beginning of the whole process, because then that gives people a reason for saying, okay, now we're going to we're now going to enter into the preparation process for each of us as individuals. We are going to engage in these spiritual practices as individuals, because we see this as part of our preparation to move yeah. towards true north together. So the first move is to establish your true north. Then you want to prepare each leader, as we've already discussed through their own personal transformation and through their own practice of discernment in their personal lives. Then we want to prepare the community for discernment, which is where we are right now, you know, in episode four. Right. So let's go back to this composite church, Grace Church. And they've spent six months practicing spiritual disciplines together. Uh, then they come back together with you or another leader uh, for another retreat to learn uh, even more about spiritual discernment. So uh, what did Grace Church discover as they moved through six months of practicing personal uh, uh, discernment? What they learn is that they are becoming a more discerning group. Before they even know much about how to practice corporate leadership discernment, they discover that they have changed. That now not only as individuals, but as a group, they have become more discerning. And so even the, their use of language has changed now. Mm -hmm. Rather than just talking about what's strategic or expedient or efficient, they're actually asking the question, you know, what is God's will for us in this? How is Jesus leading us to be his church more fully? Um, now there's an opportunity to pay attention at a different level. So someone actually brings a comment about consolation or desolation, and the group respects it and responds really well to it. Um, they're actually able to talk now about their sacred rhythms and to say, like, you know, you, we've been joking about this moving from two services to seven <laughs> services. Seven. Yes, we're setting up a straw man there. But right. um, people are able to say, but now, wait a second, if we do that, how is that going to affect our sacred rhythms together? Are we still going to be able to keep a Sabbath? What are our volunteers going to do? How are we going to help our people continue to live in their sacred rhythms if we move from two services to seven services? So if there's a different level of paying attention now, not only to the calling of God to do stuff, but also our calling to actually live a way of life that's good for us as human beings. So um, they have changed now without even trying. And now whenever a question does come to them, there's a whole different kind of conversation that's unfolding. And they're very excited about this when they realize, wow, we're in a different place now as a leadership group. And what they, have, what they find also is that because they are 
practicing these disciplines personally, they come to each other more vulnerably. And now they're able to be more humble with one another. They might even now have the courage to say, well, you know, in my solitude time, I felt like God really spoke to me about this. Well, if a group isn't prepared, you'd want to think twice before you say something like that, because it could get shot down. But when you're coming into a group where everyone is now practicing solitude and silence and hearing the voice of God in their lives, when I bring this, I feel confident in doing it. I feel safe in doing it. And the group responds to me as though this is really good and important information because they too are distinguishing now the voice of God from all the other voices. And there's a real respect now when we share what God is saying to us in our solitude and silence. So a lot's changing when all they were doing was paying attention to their own personal practice because they're changing. Yeah. And so they're becoming what you would call a spiritual community. Yes. Not mm-hmm. just a leadership team. Yes. And actually, I remember you, um, I referred to at one point years ago, our church as an organization. Mm-hmm. You interrupted me and said, is that how you want to think about this community mm-hmm. as an organization? Um, and again, that that just helped us think like, wait a minute, a spiritual community is different from a right. leadership team or an organization that's based on decision making. Can you highlight some key differences? Yeah. Well, first of all, let me go back to that example of when I corrected your language. I, the reason that I do that sometimes, I'm a word person, yeah. so there's that. But I also believe that the way we use language shapes our reality. It does. So when we call something a management team, that may be all we're going to get is a management mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. You know, When we call ourselves a team, that might be as far as we go. We might never experience community because we're calling ourselves and identifying ourselves as a team rather than seeing ourselves as a community. So I want to take this as an opportunity to encourage people to really look at the language mm-hmm. that you're using. Yeah. Um, so for in the Transforming Center, we are required by the state of Illinois to have a board. And we do. But that's typically not how we refer to ourselves. We call ourselves the leadership community of the Transforming Center because we want to keep it crystal clear that we gather to discern and do the will of God regarding the stewarding of the Transforming Center. And the words that we use to describe ourselves really matter. So already some of those who are listening might be considering, hey, is what we call ourselves really what we want to be? Because if you establish language that actually calls you to be something different than what you are, that'll be a part of your process, you yeah. know? So, yes, I do believe that God calls us as as those who are leading in different areas of Christ church. God calls us to move beyond teamwork yep. and to become spiritual communities that discern and do the will of God. And I'm old enough to have lived through that period in time where the idea of teamwork was all the rage. Mm -hmm. And I still have my worn copy of the book on teamwork. I can't even remember which one it was now. Um, What would would that have been? Well, anyway, um, there was a time when talk about teams was the most important thing that was happening in, in management circles. And I loved it. I mean, I think many of us just are so compelled by the idea of a great team. During that time, the Chicago Bulls were at their height. And so we had Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman and Scottie Pippen and Phil Jackson as the coach and leading and, you know, kind of coaching that team out of a kind of spirituality. And we were just riveted by what happened when that team got into the triangle formation mm-hmm. and ran down the court and scored baskets. And so... It is inspiring to think about what a good team can accomplish. And I also feel that God is calling us as Christians beyond even that, beyond even that goodness, to say you're even more than a team because teams typically gather around a task. So an NBA football team gathers around the task of winning basketball games. Um, Someone calling a team together to build a habitat for your humanity home. The, the, The task is what calls them together. Oftentimes, you know, there will be task force that are called together on the basis of, of one particular issue that they're grappling with. Well, 
for Christians, what calls us together is the person of Jesus Christ. We're not called together by a task. We're called together by a person, mm-hmm. and that person is Jesus Christ. And so in community, we come together around a person, and in transforming community, we come together around our commitment to being transformed in the transforming presence of Jesus Christ. We are not the transforming agents as human beings. Jesus is the one who works transformation in each of our hearts and each of our lives. So what that means is that our relationships to one another transcend just the task that we've come together to accomplish. And it means that our relationships are deeper than that and go farther than just our commitment to the task. It means that we're also committed to each each other's spiritual well-being. It means that we're committed to listening to Jesus together. It means that we're committed to an ongoing unfolding of Jesus' will in and among us. And so I think that a community that gathers around the presence of Christ for transformation is very different than just a task-oriented team. And so we may want to use language that's consistent with that. I think that's really important. And it reminds me of Mark's gospel, third chapter, when Jesus calls his disciples. And uh, the first reason that is written that he calls them is to be with him. Mm-hmm. And then he uh, sends them out. Yeah. And and I think that that's so, that's so critical. Um, and it is different. I mean, it, it is different because I, I, I hear some activators like myself saying, mm-hmm. okay, does that mean we have to start every meeting with mm-hmm. a devotional? Does that kumbaya. mean we have to? Yeah. Yes, you yeah. sing Kumbaya. So, so mm-hmm. and, and I think that's a that's a false, um, again, another false bifurcation. Yes. We, we don't, mm-hmm. it's not, we have these spiritual things and then we do our uh, strategic things. It is centering around the person of Jesus. So um, what is gained and what is lost when a spiritual community does the hard work of conversion? And that's the language you use in the book, mm-hmm. when they have a conversion from a leadership team to a transforming community. Mm-hmm. What are some gains and what are some losses? Well, this, the, the language of conversion to community is from John English, who's a Jesuit, and um, he speaks of this transition as being something like the conversion that we experience as we convert from one way of life to another. And I think that's where the language fits, is that we really are converting from seeing ourselves in one way, we're turning around into a new direction from seeing ourselves one way to seeing ourselves another. And so for many people, that's going to be a real transition. Like I, you know, I thought I was showing up here just to give my best intellectual um, input. I thought I was showing up to give you my best leadership stuff. And now you're saying that I'm showing up to be transformed in Christ's presence with you. Wow. I mean, most people aren't showing up in any leadership environment for those kinds of purposes. So now really we're going to practice some silence together. We're going to um, do some Lexio Divina and allow the scriptures to actually penetrate our hearts in the midst of a decision we're trying to make. We're actually going to confess our sins to one another as we see where our false selves have come in and wreaked havoc in a meeting. Are you kidding? You know, like, this is not what I signed up for. So there is a real conversion, and we have to be careful not to circumvent this step. Um, And remember how I said earlier that that you as a leader who might be convinced that this is the way to go need to still be very sensitive to where other people at the table might be. And it might mean that you need to settle into some theological conversations and really grapple with Scripture to see that this is the way God is calling us. It might mean that we have to stop and take some time on people's personal spiritual disciplines. Well, now here, it might mean we need to take some time to allow people to adjust to what it looks like to be a spiritual community and even to decide whether or not they want to. So I think... I think that it's best offered as an invitation 
that you're not going to force people to move into a different way of being with one another. But but there is a real invitation here. This is the way that the group is moving. You're invited to move with us into this really great next phase of our life together in community. Or you might, you'd be very free. We wouldn't think any less of you if you said, you know what, this isn't for me. This is not what I signed up for. This yeah. is a bit more than I can handle right now. Yeah. That's okay. Um, but but we know where we're going. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're moving into this new reality and love for you to join us. But if you don't feel it's right for you, that's okay too. Well, and I think this comes back to what you said at the beginning, that it really behooves the point leader to mm -hmm. kind of walk around and have mm -hmm. everybody really chime in yeah. and really take the time mm -hmm. to decide, yeah. is this for me? Right. That's so good. And they, they might say, I'm open to it, but I'm going to need some time. Yeah. You know, I'm going to need to understand better what this is going to mean for us. Yeah. And that's the better part of wisdom. That's a wise person who's saying, okay, I'm open, not resisting, but I need to know a little bit more about what this is going to mean. Don't you think one of the losses is loss of false self? Mm -hmm. Like, and talk about ultimately that's freeing, mm -hmm. but between <laughs> before it's freeing, mm -hmm. it's kind of terrifying. Yeah. Because you're hiding behind that. Right. Well, I mean, there are other losses before that one. That's right. like, that's, you know, like I'm, I'm um, losing, I'm losing my private, my privatized version of um, my spiritual journey. Like I'm, yeah. I'm going to give up some privacy. If you're asking me to talk to you about, or to share in this group about my own spiritual practice, yeah. really? Like, yeah. like I keep that pretty private. I didn't yeah. think I was going to have to talk about yeah. that here. So you might give up a little bit of your privacy. You're definitely going to give up some of your um, independence. Mm -hmm. And especially the point leader is going to give up their Oof. independence. Now, we've talked about the good side of that. Yeah. You know, the fact that it's nice to know and it relieves a weight that I'm not any longer responsible to do this all by myself. But it also means that you're giving up some control, doesn't it? And yes. some of your own independence. And you're yes. saying, now, I'm going to submit to the life of this group. I'm going to submit my own discernment and what I'm sensing from God to the discernment of this group. It takes a really brave and courageous, mm. humble, transforming leader to be willing to give up that independence in order to participate mm. in corporate leadership discernment. Mm. Yes. That reminds me of um, recently we were having a conversation about mm -hmm. this kind of thing in, in our team. And I don't know how we even got on it, but the subject became, how have I changed as a mm -hmm. leader? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And one of the staff people said, you've become much more accessible. Mm hmm but I think, and, and I think part of that was I, I have opened and I'm learning, oh my mm -hmm. gosh, I'm learning um, so much farther to go, but I, I've learned to share some of that vulnerability right. and and loss of control. Mm -hmm. I have lost some control, um, but I haven't, but it's been a good thing. Yes. But it yes. was hard. Yes. Yeah. And, and to a lesser extent, everyone in the group is giving up their independence. Right. Nobody gets to come into the group and say, this is how I think it's going to be. Nobody gets to wield their power manipulatively and, right. and coerce the group in a direction. All of us are giving up our independence in order to meld together with a group in corporate leadership discernment. Um, I think there's a lot less hiding, to get mm -hmm. now to your point about mm -hmm. the false self, that we're giving up our tendencies to hide our real inner dynamics and to hide what's really going on within us and to hide our maybe even our false self stuff. I mean, that's that's a significant giving up when I'm used to being able to engage groups from just my intellect and from just my strategic thinking and planning. Now you're asking me to tell me to tell you mm. what's really going on in my soul. Mm -hmm. I'm not used to doing that in a leadership environment. I'm not, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. You know? It's terrifying. Yeah. It, it is. can be. It is.
And then if you're in a group of trusting people, you realize you, it's oh, so much more so satisfying beautiful. and rich yeah. eventually, but you might have to get over some of your natural fears. Ruth, you say that cultures of transformation and deformation, I want you to mm-hmm. define that, uh, are rarely neutral. Mm-hmm. You say you taught you write a lot about the intentionality mm-hmm. required as we prepare the community for discernment. There's yeah. this incredible intentionality. Right. Um, and so um, say, say more about the necessity for that and how groups can deform as mm-hmm. well as they can transform. Yeah. Yeah, so so I said that cultures are rarely neutral. Yeah. They they either are transforming or deforming, or maybe they're transforming in some ways and deforming in other ways. Sure. I don't want to make this black and white because right. it's really not. Right. But I think one of the more courageous questions that a group can ask and answer together is, what is what is our culture? Is our culture transforming or deforming? And in the book, I give some examples of that. Uh, one of the easiest examples to give is just around pace of life. Mm. That one of the things that can be very deforming for people in our culture right now is that. Life in our culture is already busy and unmanageable. And then if a church is trying to do too much, they're actually inviting people through their engagement in this church into lifestyles that are unsustainable and deforming because adding that much activity into our lives makes it impossible to, for us to create space for solitude. We, I think one of the things we have to be really conscious of is that when we have too much going on back to the, cert, the number of services, we ask our volunteers, they're working in the church, but they're also working big jobs in their in their other life. And so when is their Sabbath? I, I really encourage leaders to say, not don't only teach about Sabbath, but look at the way that your life and what you're inviting people into is actually making it possible or impossible mm-hmm. to keep a Sabbath. Mm-hmm. So pace of life can be one deforming aspect of a church. A transforming aspect of church could be that you are actually inviting people into sacred rhythms and ordering your church's life around the ability for people to to have sacred rhythms and live within them. So, I mean, the the vision would be that our churches would be places where we actually hold up that opportunity and actually help people to to enter into sacred rhythms. Another way in which church environments can be deforming is that we can be uh, too oriented towards external success, and it becomes really difficult for people to be honest about their human experience and their human situation. It could be that in that, it's hard for us to tell the truth. And so the culture becomes a a place where we know the kinds of truths we can tell and the kinds of truths we can't tell, or where we can tell certain aspects of truth, you know. And in that way, people begin to realize, oh my goodness, you know, we don't handle truth very well Mm -hmm. in this environment, or where conflict is not acceptable. Mm-hmm. And part of what's deforming is that you literally cannot tell the truth around here and walk into conflict and come out on the other side. So all of these are aspects of culture that are there and present, whether they're named or not. And so I think one of the things that we need to ask and answer in a group that's attempting to move towards being a community for discernment is to look at this question of what is our culture? Are we a deforming culture or are we a transforming culture? Yeah. And to to really open up a real conversation about that. So that's what the group from Grace Church yes. starts to do, and it takes them to some very surprising places. There's some tears. Tears, truth-telling, pain. Mm-hmm. You know, people start to tell truth about what they've experienced in the church. Um, and every single thing I write about with Grace Church indicates places that I've sat with churches and Christian organizations in those places. So each person is given a chance to talk about what they've experienced in the culture. Mm. And a lot is un- is unearthed in that conversation. So what does that kind of a conversation even look like? 
Well, for Grace Church, you know, they were having now these warm, fuzzy experiences of sharing what was happening in their solitude and consolation and desolation. They were becoming a safer group with each other, and that was all very heartwarming. But then their facilitator took them around a bend and created a safe zone with them in which they were invited to be honest about what they were really experiencing at Grace Church and what the culture was really like. And they agreed that they would be respectful of each other's sharing, that they would give people uninterrupted time to talk. These are ways that we create safety for a group to talk, um, that we would that they, that they would be uh, very, very slow to judge or to dismiss each other, that they would trust that whatever truth was shared was really somebody's truth and warranted being paid attention to. They were also assured that if they entered honestly into this conversation that it wouldn't affect their jobs. Whoa. Because the supervisors were in the room. There were yeah. supervisory relationships within the room. The elders were there who you know, hired the senior pastor. And the elders and the senior pastor assured the group that they could share honestly and that it would not harm them in terms of their job, that it wouldn't be held against them. And there was a serious commitment to confidentiality. And I say all these things because these kind of conversations cannot be entered into lightly. We really must create some safeguards around a conversation like this. Otherwise, we are putting people in a very vulnerable position. And these things need to be true. I mean, it needs to be really true that whatever you share here is not going to affect whether or not you get hired or fired. That needs to actually be true. Right. So we're asking for a lot of integrity here. And then each person was given five to seven minutes to actually talk about what they experienced in this culture. Um, They were encouraged to make I statements, so to speak for themselves, not to share what anybody else was telling them. Um, And it was understood that there might be more, but they didn't have to share any more than they wanted to share, that no one was going to press them to share any more. As others listened, they were encouraged to be in that prayer of quiet trust, to be in a place of deep trust with God, that this is part of the truth that's going to set us free if we're willing and able to sit in this truth. So one of the elders broke the ice by modeling this kind of truth-telling and speaking first. And um, this elder talked about the the issue that they had been discerning, which was about uh, purchasing a piece of property, and there had been um, a a pain in their history, and that was that when the elders and the leaders of this church disagreed, one group split off and went ahead and bought the property. Mm. But no one had ever talked about it. You know how we oftentimes put such a brave spin on everything? Right. That no one actually talks about how it really felt. So when when they were going through this experience of disagreement and this group splitting off and going and doing their own thing, no one talked about how hurtful it was. Everybody Mm. just said, well, you know how we do this. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I hate that we do this, but we do this. I mean, I guess it's good, but, you know, they got up and make brave statements about how this Mm. group is going off now to do their thing and we're affirming them and blah, 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 blah. But that meant that nobody ever got to talk about the pain of the fact that they hadn't been able to do this through agreement because that was the truth. Mm. This group split off and did what the rest of the group didn't want to Mm. do. They did not come together in unity They did Mm. not discern it together, Mm. and it was causing a great deal of distrust about whether or not this group could actually enter into discernment together. Mm. So this elder was really brave by talking about how that splitting off affected him, and he actually shed tears. Um, He talked about what it felt like to have people that he thought were friends for life actually leave and go off into this split. Um, He related that at that point he began to relate to the church and the elder group in particular, or the the leadership group in particular, in a more distrustful and guarded way. He acknowledged that he had been holding himself back from the group and that actually he was having a hard time thinking about opening up and leaning in again because of what they had already experienced and never been able to discuss openly and honestly. Wow. So there, that's hanging out there. Wow. And nobody's going to try to fix it. That's part 
Mm. The commitment right now is that all we're here to do is listen. So nobody tried to rush in and fix it, just left that pain right out there in the middle of the room. The next person who talked talked about the moral failure that they had experienced within the group and talked about how that person had been shuffled off the scene without a whole lot of truth being told. And the staff person talked about the fact that the wife of the husband who had had the moral failure from, was one of her best friends and how the couple left, that no one really knew what happened behind the scenes. No one really knew what had been worked out with them. And all of a sudden, these two greatly loved people are just gone mm. again. Yeah. Tears, yeah. brokenness, wow. emptiness at the leadership center of this group's life. Um, so she just started weeping openly, and all the group could do because of the parameters that had been set was just to sit there with her and let her weep about missing her best friend and really not knowing what happened wow. um, to, to them all. She recovered herself, and the next person, who was one of the worship pastors, picked up on that situation and mentioned that it had also introduced some fear among them as worship leaders, that maybe they might also be subject to, you know, now vulnerable um, to moral failure. It had set up a lot of fear and guardedness among the men and women in, on the worship mm -hmm. team now. Mm -hmm. And because of their fear, there had been a loss of a sense of community among them because they had not dealt openly with this situation and they had not then talked about sexuality. They had not talked about um, how to be safe with one another. And so they just started being guarded with one another and and the loss that they felt in terms of now not relating to one another in community and being afraid in relation to one another um, and not handling the issue of sexuality openly was now a place of fear mm. among them and a loss of community among them. So, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that when you start talking about your culture, these are the kinds of things that are come out, going to come out because the culture creates these kinds of experiences. The culture tells us whether or not we can be honest about what happens when there's a moral failure. The culture is what tells us whether or not we can tell the, the truth about that group that just split off. Mm. And the culture didn't allow that kind of truth telling, so no one ever told the truth, which meant that there was hurt and pain and sadness at the core now of who this group was, as they now seek to become a trustworthy enough community to discern and do the will of God together. And I am here to tell you that without the ability and the willingness to walk through that kind of an honest conversation and repair and mend what's been broken and to try to establish healthier patterns, don't even try mm. to walk into discernment together because this stuff is always going to be there and it's always going to prevent serious truth-telling. It's always going to prevent the ability to try to walk into conflict and do something better with it than got done before. And this is the work. This is what it looks like to start becoming a community that is able to discern and do the will of God. And so now the group, as painful as a conversation like this is, there's a whole lot more truth on the table now. It's going to feel raw, um, but now there's the opportunity to say, okay, we did it that way that time. That didn't work. We are broken because of the way that we did that last time. How do we want to be different? Mm. What have we learned? Are there new values that we want to put in place, new values that we want to embrace and practices that will help us to become a different kind of group? Mm. Well, now you're in a conversation. Now you're in a real conversation that's going to take you in some new directions. Wow. Um, I mean, I felt the temperature mm -hmm. change even as you went through that whole um, meeting. And we've all um, been there. Of course we have. All of us who yeah. have been leaders have been there. Mm -hmm. Well, hopefully we've actually gotten to name it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, we, we've all felt all yeah. that stuff. Uh, maybe we haven't all 
been in that beautiful meeting where we get to let it yeah. out, you know, mm-hmm. and, and be safe. Right. And I think that's your point is if we're going to be yeah. leaders who discern in community, then we have to name what the culture mm-hmm. actually is, which then leads us to name some values, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, well, let me tell you one more thing that got said in this meeting. Um, and I've, I've, I've heard this more than once in leadership groups. Um, towards the end of the conversation, the, the executive pastor in this group shared he had come from the marketplace, which is often the case. You bring an executive pastor in who's done a lot of strategic leadership in the marketplace, and you bring them in to be your executive pastor. And he said that he came, he took this role as executive pastor, hoping and assuming that he would experience a deeper level of community. And that's one of the things that drew him to take this role in the church. And the truth for him was that he had experienced more community in the secular environment than he had experienced in being executive pastor on this church staff's team. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then they had to grapple with that. Yeah. And of course, many people would were able to agree with him and say, "Well, yeah, that's kind of true. I don't, yeah. I don't experience this group to be a real community for me." Yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, in the next episode, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about practices for opening to mm-hmm. God together and listening to each other, because yeah. I then that's that is the obvious next step if we're if we're going to do that kind of a brave thing. So thanks, Ruth. Is there a prayer that you would like to end with? There is, and it is a prayer that that helps us to know ourselves as the community that we that we really are. Forgiving God, your son once said that his brother, sister, and mother were all who did your will. Yet even when we fail to do your will, you welcome and accept us as your children. Teach us to include one another as readily as you include us. Teach us to welcome and accept each other as readily and as you welcome and accept us. Teach us how to be the community of Jesus, a community that transforms rather than deforms, for to do so is to do your heavenly will. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. We know there are thousands of podcasts to choose from, so we really appreciate you taking the time to listen to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. In July, the Transforming Center will launch their 15th Transforming Community. If God has stirred up something in you about your own leadership experience, maybe God is inviting you to begin a transforming leadership journey of your own. I joined Transforming Community number six way back in 2011, and it was such an important part of my spiritual journey. The Transforming Community Experience is designed to better integrate your faith and your leadership. The two-year experience of spiritual formation is designed for pastors, leaders, and influencers. It is grounded in scripture, animated by a Trinitarian approach to transformation in community, and it's informed by the richness and diversity of our Christian heritage. Also, if you've enjoyed the podcast, we would love to hear from you. Please leave a comment wherever you listen to the podcast and visit transformingcenter.org to learn more about how to apply for the next Transforming Community.